Welcome to the Strata Leadership Show, a podcast designed to help you gain clarity, lead effectively, and drive results for yourself, your team, and your organization. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Miller. I'd like to welcome today to our show, Lynn Watson. Uh, Lynn is a dear friend of mine. We worked together side by side for a number of years. I've learned a great deal from her and her genuine love uh, and desire to see people grow. And so I'm, I'm really thankful to have Lynn here. She's the executive director at uh, the at Crossings Church, where she oversees all of the human resources functions. And, and, and really, she's one of those people that just... Um, brings life into every room that she walks into. And it's not one of those things where she has to act. It's a choice that she's made long ago that people really matter. So Lynn, I'm really happy to have you on the show today. Thank you, Nathan. I'm happy to be here with you. So help us understand more about your story. Uh, let's start with uh, growing up. Where did you grow up? Uh, what was life like for, for Lynn? Uh, as you were in those formative years? So I grew up in Lawton, Oklahoma. My father was a minister. My mother was a teacher. And I had one older brother. And so I grew up in a house where we knew that it was important to serve and serve well and to perform and to be the best at anything we did. We uh, learned very early on that it was quality over quantity. And so I feel very blessed to have grown up with my parents in a, in a good home and with a good uh, spiritual foundation. So tell us about life in Lawton. Was it obvious that you were going to end up being a, a leader at the time? What was that like? You, you know, it's interesting when you think back on your childhood uh, I always thought that my brother was the leader um, because he always wanted to be president and I always had to be his secretary. He would never let me be vice president because that was back in the 70s. But I always seemed to take on a leadership role because I either thought something wasn't going fast enough or wasn't being efficient enough. And so, yes, I think that started in junior high. I was president of the ninth grade class, got to high school and became the student body president my senior year. And so that was kind of my life. So uh, you, you go through uh, school, you get through junior high, high school, and it becomes more and more obvious that uh, people trust you that way, that you enjoy helping uh, open doors of opportunity. So you graduate from high school, then what happened? Well, it's interesting. I got a four-year scholarship to Cameron, and my mom said, you're not going to Cameron. You're going to OU where your brother is. And I said that I'm paying my own way. And she said, that's right. And you're going to OU because there's more opportunity for you if you get out of town. And so I took her advice thinking I wanted to be a dentist until my sophomore year when I took chemistry and calculus. And then my life changed. So, so uh, knowing you, uh, you know, you're obviously very, very bright, but you uh, have never been someone who just uh, has talked about things like that. So I'm, I'm assuming that that experience uh, made it very clear that that was not what you wanted to do. What happened? Well, it was very clear that my brain did not work like a chemist or a calculator. And uh, knowing that I had to know those things to be a dentist was very important. And at that point, I had to do a life shift. I remember I called my mom and I said, OK, mom, this is not working. Help me 
you know, work through this. And she said, you've always loved writing and you've always loved speaking. How about something in journalism? And truly the next day I went to the school of journalism. I looked at it and I said, okay, I'm going to be a journalism major and major in PR. So I could be a PR person at some point in my life. Is that the role that your mother always played in your life? The, the person that you could talk to about what to do? She, yeah, she was definitely um, somebody who was a great role model for me. I mean, she worked hard. Uh, she worked her way through school because she knew education was a way to get out of her life and the projects in Pittsburgh and in poverty. And so I always admired her tenacity, her resilience. And so she's always been a great sounding board and role model for me. So you, you get to OU, which is obviously a, a very large uh, school and journalism specifically that's they have a program that they're known for internationally for for the quality of that program and so you start heading down that path but you're having to pay for school yourself was that through student loans did 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 you work how did that happen all the above so um I had student loans, I had grant money, I had scholarships, and then I worked full-time too. So my senior year, it was um, fall semester, my senior year, I had 21 hours and three jobs because I thought if I'm going to graduate on time, this is what I have to do. And so I would be up by six and be in bed by 2 a.m. because of the different three different jobs that I had. And so it was a great semester because I made straight A's and was paying off my bills. And then came my spring semester and I had one job and 12 hours, all electives, but three of those hours. And I barely made my four point. <laughs> so I found that the more packed my schedule is, the more productive I am. Have you always been uh, that way uh, of someone who felt like you needed to not waste any time uh, in your day? <laughs> yes. And I don't know why. Maybe because my mom's that way. I mean, my mom is retired. She's 81 and it's still hard for her to sit and read a book. And this time right now is really trying for her. So she's taking lots of walks. So I think that that was modeled for me growing up. So you are about to graduate from uh, OU. You obviously worked very hard, um, both on your academic side and then also being able to, to pay the bills. Is that when you met uh, your, your husband? Uh, yes. Actually, um, I took about a month off after I graduated because I'd worked so hard and I was tired and I just went back to Lawton. And finally, I think it was July 4th weekend. My mom said, you will be out of this house by August 1st. So go find a job. Thought, okay, I better get on that. Um, I had been offered a job from the Oklahoman. Um, and when I looked at that, it wouldn't even have paid my rent. It was to be now, the city now desk for those editor. Who, now for those who aren't from here, what is the Oklahoman? It's the uh, state newspaper. And I had done an internship there working on the city desk. And they asked me to come be the assistant um, city editor. And looking at that, I was flattered. And then I thought, oh, my goodness, I just got a journalism major and I can't make any money. And so that's when I started looking into sales jobs. And so, yes, I met my husband in August of 87 and became a salesperson with a technology company. Well, uh, congratulations on being married now, almost uh, coming up on 30 years. It, it seems has like been that, 30 uh, years. Oh, oh, even better. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. So uh, you, you keep having one obstacle after another, uh, finding your way to open these doors of opportunity. So you, you find that sales may be a better fit for you. How did that go for you? 
You know, it went really well. And I think it's due to the manager, my first sales manager that I had. I mean, what he modeled for me, how I needed to speak over the phone, what did that look like, words I needed to say, how I needed to listen well. He trained me really well. And I feel like it was a real blessing to be a part of that organization. You know, when I when I listen to people talk about their their paths, often it was not just incredibly obvious that they were going to end up where they are now. If I had talked to you at that time, where did you think your life was going? (laughs) That's a really good question. If you would have asked me then, I would have told you that I was going to be at that company until I retired. And that at one point, I'd probably be CEO of that company. However, that did not happen. So what happened? Uh, The company, it was a great company. It basically sold to a buyer out of Michigan. And when they purchased the company, they said nothing was going to happen. And within 24 hours, all of the C-suite people were gone. And they asked everyone if they were interested and moved to Michigan. And that was the last place I wanted to move. Um, Oklahoma is north enough for me. So the company moved to Michigan and most of us just stayed here in Oklahoma and found different jobs. So those types of moments that you have unexpected uh, changes can be incredibly disruptive. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you handle that? You know, I was, I, I felt honored that they asked me to move to Michigan, um, but I knew that this was home and this is where family is and that there would be another opportunity. And so I found other opportunities and it was great. And, you know, I think it was meant to be that way because um, not many people stay at the same place for 30 and 40 years anymore. And so I've learned with my history, I have like 10 year stints with different companies, about eight to 10 years, which is interesting looking back on my life. Lynn, I had the chance to work with you for a number of years. And I know uh, your, your story in that you're the kind of person that has had to endure a lot of challenges that have come your way that you didn't ask for. How do you think learning how to deal with challenging times where there's just a lot of uncertainty, how has that influenced you as a leader today? I think anytime you go through adversity, you learn a lot more about yourself and how you handle stress or um, the valleys of life. And my mental model has always been to learn something positive from it. And I'm going to come out stronger, more resilient, um, have more courage. And I think it's changed the way in which I've led people. And then also my empathy level, especially when you go through things that other people experience, your empathy um, for them is much higher and your concern and love for them. You know, when I think back about heroic days in, in my life where I've seen someone be truly heroic, that they did something that I would not have even thought of doing until I saw it done. Uh, one of the days that I view as inspirational to me in, in a way that really, <laughs> the farther I get away from it, the more I feel this sense of um, gratitude about it, of being able to have been witness to it. And it was right after you had been diagnosed with cancer and we, you and I were working together at a company and it was a, a big program that we were doing. There was a lot of uh, pressure. It was the first time this company had done something like what we were doing. We were doing a leadership academy for them, you and I at the time. And you had come in that morning and you had been diagnosed and uh, you you shared with with, uh, me for just a moment what was going on. And then you um, turned around and you went up to the front of the room and you never um, mentioned it. You you never hinted at it. And you may have had one of the best days I have ever seen you 
uh, helping leaders think through who they were, where they wanted to go in life to equip them. And it is one of the most, one of the single most heroic things I've ever seen in my life. And I remember sitting back there thinking to myself, who is this? Because if I had been diagnosed with cancer uh, like that the, the, the night before or a couple of days before, I, I just don't know how I would have had the presence of mind to not only come to work, but to come to work with the attitude of, I'm, I'm going to make a difference today. Can you, can you tell us uh, about what that was like being diagnosed and, and just uh, then the, the, the process moving forward from that? Well, when I was diagnosed um, eight weeks earlier, my daughter, who was 16 at the time, had um, a lump in her breast and she had a biopsy. And fortunately, it came back benign. So move forward eight weeks when I um, found something and I was diagnosed with cancer, I was thrilled that it was me and not her. Hmm. So truly, it was it was a time of Thanksgiving because I didn't need mine anymore, but she probably needs hers at some point. And so when you're diagnosed, you decide, you create a plan, you move forward. And I never wanted that to interfere with my work or with the people that I was impacting. It gives me a story now that I can look at it in hindsight. But while you're going through it, um, what I wanted to do is have the presence of mind to be able to serve others during that time and not to have, you know, any pity parties because I, I knew that um, I would make it through and have fun. You know, I, I look back on that time and uh, not only did you not um, really make it known, you, you really did, in, in essence, turn up the, the, the pace of uh, saying, well, what else can I do to serve people? And, and I hope you know how much that means. And it's, uh, I, I don't know that you would have been able to register what that inspiration has meant uh, over the years for me watching you. And so when you think about uh, leaders, when they're going through challenging times like that, uh, when, you, when you think about that sense of um, intentionality, um, what, what would you say to somebody now, a leader who is facing the challenge of like the pandemic that we're dealing with now, the, the economic crisis, the tsunami that has come uh, into so many companies that was not deserved because they weren't doing their jobs well? What would you say to them in this time of crisis? I think it's a perfect time for leaders to realize that we need to be nimble and that we have to be able to adjust and to pivot if need to be pivoting. Um, one thing that I've been expressing to our employees is they need to take time to slow down and feed themselves because if they're not feeding themselves, then they can't feed others. So you are now uh, working in one of the fastest uh, growing churches in America. It's um, basically the size of a town. <laughs> and uh, you're leading a, a staff of, of people that I think would be pretty interesting to work with because these are highly creative people who have high expectations. And I could also imagine it would be a bit challenging because you're dealing with, uh, I would guess, a, a lot of people who are innovators, who are, are mavericks in their own way, who, who are making an impact in the world. Uh, tell us about what life is like in the, in the role that you have now. I love my role because I basically have 300 people that I get to love on every day and focus in on them and help grow them and be that uh, sounding board for them and help develop them and grow those folks. So how do you get people to a, a place where they uh, feel safe enough to deal with the discomfort that is always a part of growing? Mm. I think it comes down to vulnerability and trust. I'm very vulnerable with the staff. They know my story. They know how I got where I am. And I will also 
explain failures when I fail at things because I want people to know that this is a place for us to learn and grow and it's a safe place to do that. So in your own life, what's an area that you're trying to grow in as a leader uh, where maybe you haven't been as effective as you'd like to be and you're trying to grow? Well, I think sometimes it's learning the the details of products and services that we're providing. I've never been been that detail person. Give me the hierarchy, the overview, but I have a great team that deals with the details. You're one when, when of your uh, things that you're known for. I, I I always tell people about what was it like to work with Lynn Watson uh, over the years <laughs> before you transitioned to where you are now. And I always tell the same story. I said, you know, working with Lynn, she's a force of nature. And it was fun because you would sit in your office in the morning and, and you are like the world's great extrovert. And, and I'm one that uh, and would, would feel more um, comfortable in, in more, with introverts. You know, it's just that kind of dynamic. And, and I've loved working with you because you're so good at what you do. But uh, I, I would tell people that when Lynn would walk into the office, it was this... Um, this almost like this tidal wave of energy because you'd walk in on a Monday morning after we'd worked uh, on Friday, had a, a good a good day on Friday. You come in on Monday and it's as if you have never seen these people uh, like that. You've been, you've been gone for years. And so you come back in and there'd be this tidal wave of energy as you go from desk to desk to desk. And it was, uh, so how was your weekend? I'm so happy to see you. And, and there'd, there'd just be this, this level of energy that would increase in this level of volume when you walked through uh, the, 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 the office area, Area. And I'd always joke because it was always a reminder to me to, to get up and, and shut my door so that, uh, you know, yeah, and, and I'm kidding. But, but the idea is that you came into the office with intentionality. Mm-hmm. How did you do that? Well, I think everyone can make an impact in different ways. And I know that if you can set the tone for the day, it helps set the tone for everyone. So you leave your troubles in the car and you walk in and you say, OK, it's time to up the energy. And let's do this because while we're here, if we're going to do it, let's have fun while we're doing it. So the research indicates that people in a group will look to the highest status person in the group for guidance on where they should be emotionally. And so when they're going through a tough time, if the leaders are calm, then they are much more likely to be calm. If the leader is not calm, if they are frantic or maybe they have a frenetic pace or whatever it may be, then they'll take that on as well. When you think about um, the intentionality of a leader, it's one thing to see them at the, at the highest rank, that they're already at the, the top level of the organizational chart. But when you think about someone who is just beginning their leadership journey, how can they set the tone and set the pace in the office when they may not have the status, but they have the desire to make a difference? What would you say to them? I think that you can do that through your words by recognizing good in others, because we don't do that well. I also think it's using your personality. You're, you know, I'm very interested in people. So I'm always asking, how was your weekend? Just to create that connection. And I also just think a positive attitude. Um, Tell us about a failure in your experience that uh, you felt like you learned from. (laughs) Because I find it interesting. I don't know any really impactful leaders who don't have a story of a time when it did not work? Well, I will tell you, it was probably back in 1998 when I was a business owner, uh, started when my son, started the business when my son was five weeks old. 
1998, I learned um, that I didn't know how to say no. So at one point I look up and it is September of that year. I'm on eight boards. I'm in charge of another golf tournament. I am uh, on different association boards. And my husband looked at me and he said, you've got to learn the word no. And he literally, so I was failing as a mom, as a wife, as a business owner. And so I think that's a real pivotal moment in my life where I thought, okay, I've got to learn the word no, and I've got to extract myself from this, these programs. So wrapping up our time, I really appreciate your time. I know that uh, for leaders right now, there's just so much pressure um, just, to, just to be available. And your voice means a lot to me, and I hope it will mean a lot to, to other people. If people want to learn more about uh, crossings or learn more about you, uh, how can they find that information? Um, they can go to our website at www.crossings.church. They can find us. They can email me directly. You can always share my cell phone number. I think everyone in this world that knows me has that number and those digits. But we would love to um, meet and talk with anyone at any time because I love to learn about people and see how we can serve them best. Lynn, thank you for the time today. Uh, you're an inspiration to me and you're an inspiration to a lot of people. And so on behalf of the Strata Leadership Show, uh, we're mm-hmm. just thankful to have Lynn here. And the, the, the role that we have is to bring together leaders to be able to share their stories, share their ideas, and create community. But the goal of a leader is to set the pace. And so this week, uh, make the decision that you are responsible for setting the tone and setting the pace. If you'd like to learn more about Strata Leadership, Uh, We would invite you to look at our website, strataleadership.com, where we are standing by to be able to serve leaders who care deeply about other people. Set the pace.